We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Starting to gear up for the Hall of Fame game. Plenty of thoughts on who's going to play, who's not going to play, what we're looking for in this Hall of Fame game coming up Thursday. Also, insights from the Browns' return to Berea, where the team practiced in front of fans for the first time. So plenty of things going on. A jam-packed OBR film breakdown, joined by Andrew Spade, and we'll talk about the offensive line in our preview. That's all coming up next. All right, we're here on this Wednesday. Andrew Spade checking in with me, ready to go talk about the Browns. They are on the field practicing uh, on this Wednesday back in Berea, so that's a good thing. They're they're finally back, which you know sort of I think hones focus in a little bit more on the season, which is right around the corner. Uh, obviously, today in front of fans, they will um, you know be out there Wednesday walking through. We won't see any of that, but then Thursday's game day. Um, yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting situation they're in where they kind of so quickly go from the Greenbrier back out on their their field a couple times Andrew and then they're they're into a game and um you know I think the thing I want to start with is like when you hear the coaches talk today you hear Jim Schwartz talk about well we're not ready yet right like I think that's a huge part of what the Hall of Fame game will be I I never focus all too much on the teams playing in the Hall of Fame game so I don't really know I actually can't remember. I think did Pittsburgh play in it last year I feel like they did but I don't, I'm not paying close attention to who's playing in that and like the, the buzz around it and what they think. So it was it was it was interesting to hear Schwartz say, well, we're, we're progressing, but we're not ready. And I think that's going to kind of be the theme here is is this is game zero, not your first preseason game. So they're out in front of this. This is a glorified scrimmage that's going on here. All preseason games are, but this is to an extreme. And uh, I just uh, I'm very intrigued to see. Um, the overreaction uh, to put to some possibilities for some ugly outcomes. You know what I mean? Like I do think that there could be some blown coverages. Uh, there could be some ugly plays on offense. And uh, this, this game has a chance to be one that isn't all too enjoyable, but you kind of are expecting it to be enjoyable at the same time. You know, it's a bit of a paradox in that sense. It's a, uh, it's a weird one. Yeah. It's, it's like anything else, you know, here where you just want to kind of like enjoy how goofy it gets. Right. Like, um, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be some some bad stuff that happens. There's going to be some good stuff, hopefully, and and hopefully it's fun. 
you know um we have I, you know definitely over the years uh you see preseason games that finish you know 10 to 9 or something like that and it's like well you know almost impossible to watch because it's just teams trading punts so we hope it's not that you know we we hope that you know zach wilson kind of goes out there and runs around and you know tries to make some plays to prove he's not you know a total bust and Dorian Thompson Robinson, Kellen Mond, you know, I know a lot of people are really down on Kellen Mond, but, you know, we've, we've seen Kevin Fansky and the Brown system make quarterbacks look good before, so it's not out of the realm of possibility that he could look functional in this offense, especially against the, you know, second or third team for the Jets. So, yeah, just you're hoping for, for sort of some action in those regards and then, you know, looking for a few players to kind of jump jump out, right? Because they have, you know, as, as much as it is kind of a game zero, they have been, you know, uh, in camp for more than a week. So there should be some players that are kind of ahead of others and kind of things are clicking for them. And, and do you want to see some of those players that maybe did some good things during training camp so far, do those same things in a game and start to, you know, change the conversation at a few positions. Uh, certainly just like overall, I'll be looking at the wide receivers a lot. Um, just because of, I think how many interesting names there are that, that should play there. Right. Um, and then, uh, I, I, you know, the backup tackle position is one that's really interesting to me. Um, something that's just kind of like, I, I you know, has, has started to kind of come into focus for me is how little experience they have at the backup tackle positions. I know James Hudson got a shout out from Alex Van Pelt today during his press conference. So, you know, I don't know how much even those guys will play, but if you could see Hudson put together like a, a good series or two that, uh, you know, at left tackle, that would really kind of make you feel better about, you know, their depth there. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other position that is kind of at the top of the list for me is defensive tackle. I don't know who will play, and I don't know, uh, you know, if any of the any of the guys that are in the in contention to make the, the roster will play. But um, there's a lot of questions there beyond Dalton Tomlinson. You know, they had to release Perry on Winfrey, um, Saki Eek is a rookie, uh, Jordan Elliott. You know, we've we've talked about him sort of ad nauseum. So, kind of, what does that room look like? And and are are any of the players that are you know, on the fringe there, uh, Tristan Hill, Maurice Hurst, are any of those guys playing and are they able to kind of make a case for themselves to be, you know, make it onto the roster? Yeah, I think that that's, that's at least something we should be talking about ahead of this game is what, I, I you get into individual players and it's a bit muddled on who's going to play and who's not. I mean, you can expect the starters at every position are not going to be playing, but then again, important backups are probably not going to see a ton of time too. So like there's a world in which, you know, James Hudson doesn't play, right? There's a world in which some of these guys who are counted on backups just don't play. And you're playing even, right. you're not just playing the young guys, you're playing all the way through your UDFAs just to really get them some 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 opportunity here. So I think the defensive tackle room stands out to me, Andrew, as a spot you're looking, because I'm sure they're going to play the veterans, the 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 sort of one-year flyer veterans and Tristan Hill. And uh, I would imagine Tristan Hill, Maurice Hurst play a little bit and, and you get to see Ika and then uh, we'll see if like Jordan Elliott is the key rotational member right now. I mean, he's a starter at this point. We don't know what they're going to do around Shelby Harris or anybody else. So that's a position I'm paying close attention to. Who sort of is going to be the first guy running with uh, the, the the secondary at nickel, I think will be of intrigue to me. Great point. Um, yep. Really interested in watching Dewan Jones at the NFL level, what he looks like, how it feels for him. Um, I would say what, you know, we're going to talk about offensive line a lot today in our second part of the preview but Luke Whipler, does it look natural for him, right? You know, because there's a sort of a consensus around uh, that he is going to be on the roster is, is sort of taking Nick Harris's role. 
How does it look and feel for him? And then the, the 17 wide receivers, do any of them jump off the page? I will say I have read some things today, people kind of tracking, you know, uh, camp information, whether they're connecting with sources, whatever. And Dalen Baldwin's name keeps coming up as an impressive yeah. camp name. Yeah. Is he going to get some run or some of these others going to get some run? Wide receiver remains of intrigue to me. And then is it like John Kelly and Demetric Felton? Like, who are your running backs? Is, mm-hmm. is the, um, the young man out of Georgia Tech whose name is, is it last name Hall, I think? I think it's Hassan Hall. Yeah. Hassan Hall, how does he look? There have been people that think he's sort of a little bit hidden under the radar there as well because they're, they're all sort of fighting. I, I would imagine as they're sitting in that room, they're talking, the third running back role is completely open. So uh, a chance for somebody to earn that role if they have a really stellar preseason, and this is the first part of that preseason. So those are kind of the things off the off the cuff that I'm paying attention to outside of the obvious and DTR mod and just – sort of seeing those guys. We didn't see Kellen Mond at all. He wasn't a preseason member of the Browns last year. He's kind of uh, brought on the start of the season. So we've only seen Dobbs and, and Watson and Jacoby, who obviously is no longer a Brown. So these are going to be quarterbacks that we haven't seen before, which will be at least of minor intrigue to me. So we'll, we'll see if uh, either of those two guys are comfortable. It'd be, it'd be really, um, you know, I think that there's some high hopes around Dorian Thompson Robinson coming in and playing pretty well right away. It would be a, be a bit of a bummer, a non-consequential bummer. Just would be a little bit of yeah. a bummer if he didn't play very well. You know what I mean? It would be the thing where you you wait all off season to get to the first preseason game and see something new and exciting, and then it you know it's kind of kind of fizzles. So it would, but yeah, you're right. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be consequential because he's just starting his NFL career. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it would be kind of a downer because I think the expectations are fairly high that. You know, I mean, they didn't have to make that pick there, right? Like, I, I mean, you talked about a lot at the draft. Uh, but they, they, they did not have to to pick a quarterback at all if they didn't want to. Um, so the fact that they did, you kind of, in a weird way, that enhances your expectations, right? That they yeah. like think that this guy, you know, is a real value in the fifth round and therefore can can kind of contribute, not as a starter, but certainly as a as a member of the roster. So, yeah, I mean, and it's you know, as we've talked about before on this show. Uh, athletic quarterbacks always look great in the preseason because it's easy to kind of run out and make something happen. So you want to see him do that at a minimum. Yeah. You would like to see some of those things for both those guys. Mond is, in, is, yeah, uh, is, exactly. is cut from the same cloth a little bit. I think he's more mm-hmm. of a of traditional quarterback than, than DTR just by sheer nature of one guy's playing with Chip Kelly, <laughs> you know? So I, right. I think that that's always going to expand the the profile a little bit there, but you know, as we go through this and, and we'll do a little game day primer for you on Thursday morning, where we, if we hear more about who's playing and who is not playing, we will make sure to enlighten you on uh, whatever the depth chart, you know, we, we got the official depth chart. I should ask you, I know, I know I spoke about this two things I want to ask you about that. I spoke about with Brad Ward last night on yesterday's show. Um, would be depth chart. Any surprises to you uh, on that depth chart as you kind of look through it at first? Because the big thing is the the three wide receivers is a part of their base now. Is that, that mm-hmm. they're just kind of officially listing that, uh, yep. which is which is what you know we, the OBR has been talking about it for a while. So that's that's good to see. Um, but in, other than that, I don't, I don't. I mean, for me, there weren't really any other surprises for you, were there? Yeah. No. I. I mean, this is it's a topic of conversation every year. It's a media thing, you know mm-hmm. that the you know whatever the media relations department puts out and so i, I mean i agree with you that, that the change from three, well, two to three at the wide receiver position is is probably the only interesting thing because that's obviously uh they're not you know that's that's not something they decided to do in media relations i don't think so that's i think meaningful but in terms of how people are ranked i think the 
as always, the preseason snap counts will be the thing to watch. Right? Who's who's and with the Jets game, you know, it'll actually be inverse, right? The more that more a player plays in the Jets game, probably the further they are from making the roster, most likely. I would say that's fair. Right? I would yeah. say it depends a little bit. Depends on who's actually playing, right? So if right, if sure. uh, if they just don't have bodies, there's probably going to be some guys who play a little bit more. But yeah, I think you can start to smell where guys are sitting early in the process uh, from this game. The other piece I wanted to hit on with you is um, the Sando quarterback tiers, which are which are pretty popular. I mean, I, I a lot of yep. very reputable people in the industry like to talk about these because they do get 50 opinions. These are not the strict opinions of like writers. These are guys around the NFL who get to do this anonymously. And with that, there's a lot of merit to the belief around what Mm -hmm. these players are and and Deshaun sitting there at 11, you know, well out in front of, you know, a lot of quarterbacks that you see these goofy quarterback tiers on social media get put out. Uh, He was well out in front of a lot of them. So if you miss yesterday's show, Deshaun ended up being uh, according to this list. And again, it was 50 exact either executives, coaches. I think there was position coach, like three quarterback coaches Mm -hmm. or something of that nature. Um, So everybody really is either in the NFL connected to the NFL coaching or making decisions around player personnel. So, um, Deshaun ends up 11th, which is the bottom of tier two. He's been in tier one a couple times, but he was in the bottom of tier two in front of Kirk Cousins behind Matthew Stafford. Uh, so, you know, out in front of some people there in the in the teens that I think people have been putting him behind because either they just have disdain for him as a person or they, you know, they, they just are choosing to believe like almost root, root against him, you know. So um, yeah. I just felt like this was a pretty good list of of and I like how they rank them one, two, three and four essentially saying that the the tier two guys are just a you know a shade below tier one guys in terms of the you know you can win with them but they're not as consistent of throwers they're not as consistent of decision makers um and then tier three is like you win with those types of guys need good defense or a good run game to sort of balance out who they are as quarterback so he's kind of floating on that tier two tier three line and i think that probably is fair so your thoughts yeah, it feels very fair. Um, I think really the only ranking that I would kind of quibble with is just where he's at in relationship to Stafford, but it's very close, right? It's a it's an average of two point three two versus two point three six. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's really tight between those two players. So it's it's essentially probably you know one one respondent to the survey had a had had Watson in tier four, and probably enough to kind of tip him over mm-hmm. into uh, being the you know, the, the 11th ranked quarterback instead of the 10th. But I think yeah, that cusp of, of the top 10 is kind of where Watson belongs at this point. Um, but I think it also just kind of points out the upside, right? Because, uh, you know, he is not far away from the top of tier two. And, you know, I, I think that the question for the Browns, you know, whether it's this year or over the course of the next few seasons, as he acclimates back into the NFL is, What's that ceiling like? You know, and to me, it has always felt like I think with the quarterbacks in the league right now, you know, the top of tier one feels like a bridge too far for for Watson. You know, if that was going to happen, it, it probably, you know, his career would have needed to play out pretty differently, I think, for him to get there. Um, so then it becomes a question of can you get into the back end of tier one? where you're seen as, you know, on the same level as those guys, but maybe not quite as bulletproof as a, a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or a Joe Burrow. I think, you know, sort of, because even, even within these tiers, there are tiers, right? Like mm-hmm. Mahomes should have you his know, own on the tier. Podcast, right. Yeah. So on the podcast, they kind of talked about how it's like, it's Patrick Mahomes and then kind of everybody else in tier one. And, and Joe Burrow is really kind of separating himself from the others in tier one as well. So it's, you know, 
the I think the best the Browns can hope for, and uh, is is for Watson kind of get into that five, you know, four to six range somewhere in there, uh, top of tier two, bottom of tier one. That quarterback, if the rest of the Browns' offense kind of plays out the way that we hope will, and then the defense can be anything other than abysmal, you know, that's a recipe for a playoff team year in and year out, even in the AFC as loaded as it is. That's so. That's kind of what's ahead of them. If, you know, if Watson plays this ranking and is the 11th best quarterback in the league this year, then the rest of the team needs to be good. You know, they need to be really good because 11 is good enough to make the playoffs, but you see the names that he's around. Uh, the Rams were terrible last year in a lot of other areas. Obviously, Stafford was hurt, but, you know, the Rams were, were awful on defense. And, and even if Stafford had been healthy all season, they weren't making the playoffs. So if you're in that area, right, Kirk Cousins is another example. Uh, when the team is good, it's a playoff team. When the team is bad, the quarterback's not good enough to drag them into the playoffs. So if Watson plays like the 11th best quarterback this year, then the defense probably has to be top 12. And the, the running game offensive line have to play, you know, as, as a top 10 unit. And then they could probably make a wild card spot. But we, you know, it, it really kind of shines a light on how Watson has to take a step forward again to, to elevate himself in this conversation to be, you know, to kind of be the the animating force behind the Browns making the playoffs. Yeah, if he sits at eleven, the the it just cuts down your margin for error. That's that's really what exactly. this is all about across the board. Is you know the the better your quarterback is, the sorry, the less amount of sharpness, I guess, in other departments that you can have. Right, you can get away with is kind of the way to look at it. At least in my opinion, it's always been that way. The quarterback is making up for all these different different bits and pieces of the roster that have holes. So. um you know, if, if Watson is sort of in that Kirk Cousins range of quarterback, then yeah, you get to the point where if one of those categories is 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 rough, then you have to have what like Minnesota had last year, which was unbelievable good fortune in one score game. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, in what you really hope for, I think with Watson for me, I don't think he is as talented seeing the game and processing parts of it. Do, like he's not going to be a mental savant the way some guys are right like burrow yep. and he doesn't have the physical arm strength that 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 Allen does but if he can get in that like you said that five to eight four to six range and then has like streaks of just really hot play then that's that's good enough you can win yeah for sure you can win you can get in and like you know imagine if you had a, a really really good version of of deshaun watson when you were in the division championship and the chiefs lose patrick mahomes to a concussion the way they did so like that's that's it right you just want to sort of mm-hmm. be in the realm of conversation because if you get a playoff ticket anything can happen in those playoff games and you know the f- the fight to get into the consistent mark of like just being in those playoff games all the time is pretty meaningful so um yeah, that would be organizationally a huge step forward for the Browns, yeah. even if it wouldn't maybe match up with where they are comp- competition wheel wise. Obviously, they're really trying to gear towards winning a Super Bowl, but just being consistently competitive would really be a big step forward for this organization. Yeah, and you too, like, I think that people continue to confuse. Okay, let me put it this way Watson, the $230 million did him such a disservice to the quarterback he is. Like, and yeah. I say that in a, in a way that I'm trying to be careful about it. Like, because when you get that sort of money, people are unwilling to understand the circumstances around the reason that money arrived in the way it did. And mm-hmm. like, I would think if you put the Browns like in front of, even at the time that they were making that decision with Watson, you know, Hey, is this the, do you believe this is the best quarterback in the league? They would say no. Right. They'd probably put right. him in the, in the five range and like that. But again, mm-hmm. like for true free agency, 
the cost right. of doing business there. That's that's what it is to to compete and go get that player to to do that. That's sort of the realm of what it costs and all that stuff. So it doesn't mean that the Browns need the best player, but but this is what it follows. It just sort of hangs there. So yeah. Um, well, and go ahead. And you know, the reason I mean to speak to your point, Jake, the reason that this all happened, Baker Mayfield's also in these quarterback tiers, right? He's twenty sixth. Yeah. Right. And he went from being low tier two in 2019 to being a tier three, a little bit of a bump after that 2020 season. And then it has been three straight years of a straight decline to where he is now a tier four with you know, 11 voters having him as a tier five, which I think is essentially not a starter, mm-hmm. right? So Yeah, tier um, four is they don't want you playing 17 games or whatever. Right. And tier five is, I guess, a, a full, full-time backup. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I think, like, <laughs> yeah, you're, I, I agree with you 100% that they they were not signing to a guaranteed contract and trading three first round draft picks for the undisputed best quarterback in the league, but they're trying to be in a conversation. Yeah, and it's kind of the price also of knew for that, right? If right. you're not drafting, and, them. and they also knew that 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 they knew the writing was on the wall with Mayfield. And yeah. you know, there were a lot of people this time last year talking about a Baker Mayfield, you know, resurrection in Carolina, getting away from Kevin Stefanski figuring some things out on his own. And, and I, I like, I'm not here to dunk on anybody, whatever. I, I just, to make the point that like the Browns accurately assessed that situation, right? They mm-hmm. knew where Baker Mayfield was headed. They didn't want any part of it. They paid him to not be on the team last year. And uh, I, they made the right decision insofar as moving on from him. Once you make that decision, now you have to decide, how hard do you want to go after what type of quarterback? And obviously they made the decision that they did there. You know, uh, as we've talked about before, we hope over the years that the story will come out about who ultimately made that decision, how much ownership was involved, how much they were pushing it. Uh, I, I'm not pretending to know one way or the other, but I think that the point is, is that once you make the decision to move on from Baker Mayfield, now the question is, well, we think we have a pretty good team. Are we going to just be content to be on the quarterback carousel uh, like Colts have done for the past five years or whatever since Andrew Luck retired? Or are we going to be more aggressive and they made the choice that they made? So now it's just a question of what a full season of Deshaun Watson looks like in this offense with said coach. You know, the decision is so tricky that they made, you know, because it's not like, again, these quarterbacks, they don't just hit free agency. Like they they, they literally don't. The, the way the NFL structured the franchise tag has eliminated – so much of this ability for players to move in these quarterbacks, they just keep taking these. That's what's interesting, Andrew, is like these quarterbacks just keep one one upping each other because, you know, what else are you going to do? Even if your team's in a bad spot, like what else are you going to do? You're not going to, you're not going to wait out free agency. So that's what made, you know, Watson's situation so rare, so unique is that we don't, we don't see quarterbacks literally get into bidding wars as true free agents. And it's just, it's just going to carry with him. But, but to your point about Mayfield, like I have some guys, again, I've, I talk about this a lot that I'm, I'm sort of connected to these guys are Tampa fans. And it's like, why, why would you start him? I mean, I know your roster is right. aging and I know your roster is like wanting to win now, but I would be doing everything I can to figure out what the hell Kyle Trask is. Like it, it, even if it's yeah. awful, you know, right. you then are putting yourself in a position to draft one of these quarterbacks, these two guys in the next draft that are going to have a chance to right. be pretty good. So I I just, it's a it's a steep fall, man. It, like you said, this time last year, there were folks that believed like this guy can go to Carolina and turn his career around and you know I, make the playoffs, etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, anyway, it's like there there hasn't been a resolution to the entire thing yet. Obviously, way too soon to know whether right the Watson trade was a massive fail, but it's not like there was some other great decision just sitting there for them. 
there there wasn't you know they could be in the yeah, jimmy garoppolo yeah. train who can barely pass a physical right. to play in to play in las yep. vegas this year there's just there's right. just not much i mean yeah. i guess Derek carr like i mean I, again we're going right. down to the other name right. i was going to say and so you watch what happened with him in in new orleans this yeah. year with some interest but but yeah i mean this is this is exactly the 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 world that they were living in and and i think we even saw over the course of you know i mean jacoby Brissett played the best football of his career over those 11 games and the Browns four and seven mm-hmm. so like <laughs> and it was it was you pretty know. good i mean there were again moments at yeah. the end of games where if he was a hero he could have pulled some stuff out of a hat but like but that's yeah. kind of my point yeah. right it's like he played the best ball of his career and it wasn't anywhere near good enough for them to have a winning record yeah yeah so so like give him credit but also understand the difference between a quarterback that can keep you around competitive mm-hmm. and a quarterback that wins you football games the moral of the story remains again to be bad not just be bad, be bad at the right time. Yeah. It's, it is literally be, bad, a, the right time. be yeah. bad at the right time yeah. or kind of back into a quarterback. Like, <laughs> you know, again, like yeah. you know, if the yeah. Bills knew Josh Allen was going to be this guy, right. what right. would they have done? They'd have traded up to take him. If the, if right. the, if the chargers knew Herbert was going to be great, they would have traded up. There's yep. no doubt. Like right. you just kind of have to, all right, we got these yeah. things we're worried about with this guy, but right. still going to take him. And it just has to sort of work out in that regard. You get credit for taking him, but like the same thing with Lamar Jackson, they took Hayden Hurst mm-hmm. 10, 15 picks sooner. And, and it's like, well, credit to the Ravens for taking Lamar. I mean, they do get some credit, but they didn't know. No, right there. Everyone's hedging bets. Yeah. You're all hedging bets. So Jake and I will be doing this podcast in 20 years. Yeah. Talk, talking about Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield going first overall in the 2018 and 2020 draft. And if you switch the Browns and Bengals in those places, what happens? This makes me really sad. Anyway, we'll be doing it when we're retired. Let's not ruin our day too quickly here. Um, All right. So uh, moving on, we are going to say one more thing. The Browns are doing a field logo contest. They're doing a lot of contests these days, logos and field logos. And um, Hey, right on. If you want to, if you want to be involved in that as a fan and you love that sort of interaction, the opportunity is there for you to vote on the field logo. So go to the Browns website, I'm sure, or their Twitter page, and you can find all the information you need. But I wanted to make you aware that they are doing that sort of thing again, uh, including the brand new dog logo as an option that you can put on center, the center of the field. So, you know, that's that's it. Anything to add to that, Andrew? Uh, I've been told we are too negative about the stuff and I need to not say anything. So right. uh, that's what this, that's what sensors are whispering into my earpiece. So, yeah. Um, uh, the Browns continue to value fan engagement and aren't we happy to see it? That's what I'll say. Yeah. The, the, the fan engagement that makes the least amount of, Never mind. We'll move on. We're going to take a break. <laughs> uh, after we take a break, we are going to continue our positional reviews and slash previews and look at the offensive line, the real, the hog mollies as they're called the, 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 the engine that drives the automobile of the Cleveland Browns. We will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, here is who is on the roster for the Browns that we want to make sure you know every single name for these guys who are going to be playing you know, throughout the preseason, and some of these guys will be players they move on from. We'll see, but uh, we want to make sure we list them all off for you. So at uh, trying to find the T's for tackle here, there's really only four that make the most sense uh, for the Browns. I don't Do they list them under OT? Like, why am I not finding this? They're just a T. That's fantastic. There we go. So on the roster, Jedrick Wills, as you know, and Jack Conklin, the, the natural backups at this point are James Hudson and Dewan Jones, a rookie. Other names that are currently on the roster, which you might see in Thursday's game, Hunter Thedford from Utah, um, Tyrone Wheatley, but he was just dinged up at the, at the last day fight. of camp in the, in the, in the brawl. Yep. Uh, out of Stony Brook. So, um, very famous father, good running back in Michigan. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the two um, backup third string tackles. So we'll see if those guys get a chance to play. But it feels like we will watch the rookies play. Dewan is not a is a rookie. James Hudson's not, but I would imagine those guys will play. We'll see if Hudson plays. He's the only one that I kind of teeter on uh, a little bit. Um, yeah. That's one where I think they ought to play him just to give him reps. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The Jets have a lot of good rushers, so let's see him do it. Guards, Wyatt Teller, Wes Martin, Colby Gossett, Drew Forbes, Michael Dunn, and Joel Batonio are your current guards on the roster. Um, Dawson Deaton is on the injured reserve at this point. So just wanted to point that out. And then your centers, there are three of them, Luke Whipler, Ethan Posich, and Nick Harris. So uh, let's go through. Uh, we'll do the the 53-man the way we have predicted this at the end of it for this position, we'll do our questions as well. Uh, who has the most on the line? Uh, I would say 
it's an interesting one. I think you could talk yourself into two players uh, from, from my perspective. So I'll let you go first and see if you take one that I don't. Uh, to me, it's Jed Wills, hands down. Uh, because we just we talked before the break about Baker Mayfield and how the Browns knew they had to move on, even though they owed him, was it $18 million guaranteed for him? The, the Browns picked up Wills' fifth-year option for next year, which you have to do. It's $14 million, which in offensive tackle money is relatively affordable. But if he is as inconsistent this year as he was last year, and and the you know that ends up being one of the main problem areas on the team, and you have a team that otherwise, imagine a scenario where the Browns play really well this year, in twelve games, twelve and five, they're in the playoffs. Maybe they win the division. They get to like the conference championship game. I'm, I'm really dreaming here, right, Jake? Mm-hmm. But imagine in that game, it's against the Bengals, and Lou Anarumo says Jed Wills can't handle this. And, and just blitzes him and and simulated pressure, you know, all this stuff where he's he's got him turning in, in circles, right? Then that's the position you got to fix next year, right? If you feel like you've got a pretty complete team, but then you get to a place where these game plans are ultra-specific and Jed Wills is getting schemed up and blitzed and harassed on a down-to-down basis, it's a liability and then they have to fix it, I think. Because, you know, there's I think you can make a, a, a – you can make – the argument that this roster is fairly complete, we start to look for where in the starting lineup there are holes. I think his name to me is is highlight for how he's going to respond this year and how he's going to play, especially with a very different type of quarterback behind him. The thing with Jed again is not that he can't finish plays. This happens. The tackle position is brutal. It's really hard. It's that he he has these moments of quitting, and and that's what drives people the most nuts. And I've said it for years. So. Uh, I would like to say that that has going uh, going to go away in a different direction, but I think we all saw what happened at uh, the Greenbrier the other day, and I think that habit is going to continue to be a part of just who Jed is. So, um, we'll, but to your point, it's it's how how much can they put up with? How much can they tolerate? Right. And is his are the peaks of who he is good enough to overlook some of that stuff? I think is what the question is for Jed Wills. I think you could make an argument that this is a really big year for Wyatt Teller has a lot on the line. Can can Definitely. can Teller if he doesn't have a good season, it feels like a player that they can move on from. Um, Agreed. so and and who knows Agreed. where he goes from there and and then you right. you talk about these guys who you know sometimes you have results where a guy you know, the Browns move on from whether that's let go or trade ends up figuring it out. And, you know, Kevin Zeidler's continuing to do really well across the NFL. Um, right. Or you have some guys who it's like, oh, they, they had one more year at that next place and then they were pretty much out of the league. So mm-hmm. um, I, I hope that's not the case for Wyatt. I'm not saying I'm predicting that, but I think there's a lot on the line for him to put together the type of play over a season long span that matches the contract that he was given. Uh, a few yes. years ago. So that's the other one that I would say. Yeah. Other than that, it doesn't I, feel like there's a ton well, of pressure on anybody. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think Teller is definitely number two on the list. The reason I would put Wills ahead is because I think Wills is in that position where, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think he's got a more like tenuous grasp on a starting spot if he goes someplace else. I know that it's the NFL and tackles are always in high demand, but that that effort stuff drives NFL coaches crazy. If you can't make right. it work with Callahan and where he's at That's right what now, I'm saying. I, right. where's he going to make it work? So Yeah. T- Teller's high has been a Pro Bowl, oh, 100%. all-pro level player. So he's going to get more opportunities, probably a few more opportunities, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like he, He's going to have a long leash. I think Wills, with the Browns and in the league generally, probably will have a fairly short leash because the so- sort of stuff that he struggles with 
is the sort of stuff that like makes people not want to take a chance on you. Very fair. So the next was the position battle. And to me, it's Whipler and Harris, right? I think if Whipler mm-hmm. is anywhere near the type of player that Harris is, they, they sort of play the same way, check the same boxes. He's going to, he's going to make the roster. He's a rookie and they think he's got growth opportunity and all of that stuff. He obviously isn't coming off of a major knee surgery as well. So uh, I, I think that that one's pretty cut and dry, but that's the battle. I don't think there's a tackle battle going on. Uh, there's guys you're, you know, you're hoping that Hudson and, and Dewan Jones maybe create one, but that, that doesn't feel like there's one. And then the, the backup guards, I don't think there's really one going on there that matters. But the center spot here, you know, postage's contract isn't massive. There are ways to work that thing or, you know, find your ways to get out of it earlier than the three-year length that it is, that it is, you know, set up in stone. So they're looking for their next center. And I think that you know, finding who's going to be on the roster first is the biggest part of that. And they're both, they're both pretty similar players. They're center only types. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I am, we've talked about this a little bit before. I'm, I'm a little less convinced on that just because I think the, the, they're, you know, the front office has been kind of risk averse in situations like this where they really prefer to have a player with more experience. And so even though Nick Harris hasn't played a lot in the NFL, he has been around the system for a while. And I think they probably feel like the downside risk of needing a second center to play and that second center being a sixth round rookie is, is pretty high. So Whipler to me feels like a guy that they're going to try and find to a to stash on the practice squad. I, I, I tend to think that they'll keep Nick Harris for the last year of his key contract and then let him explore free agency next year. But um, I, I see your point. I just think that, you know, that they have it, in other situations like this, they've really proven to, to favor the guy that's been on the roster longer. So as far as a battle, I kind of wonder if, you know, there's a little bit of a competition between James Hudson and maybe outside help as a backup swing tackle. Um, you know, uh, I, I just I, something I've been thinking about recently is like, you know, Conklin is injury prone. Uh, Wills has carried dings a few times. You know, uh, d- last year they signed Joe Haig after cutdowns, right? Um, in a you know, and then he really struggled with concussions, and I think that might rail his career. But that was an opportunity where it's like they they already had Hubbard and they added another uh, tackle. I wonder if maybe looking for another opportunity like this, uh, like that in in the in the cutdown phase this year. Something to pay attention to, um, you know, on, on paper, it feels like both of those guys are locked in, but you know, if Hudson struggles, um, you know, it would, it would really be unfortunate to see them take these two guys where they've selected them and, uh, neither of them can figure you're hoping one of Hudson or Jones can be an answer. They, they need one I of agree. them to be an answer. I agree. So, um, we'll kind of continue to hope that direction is, is where they go. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, battle, I don't know. You're right. Maybe, maybe Whipler is a guy that they end up, you know, he has a random injury that happens out of nowhere and they're able to right, stash, kind of stash him for injury. a year. Yeah. Uh, I do think yeah. that if, if he gets to the point that some team can claim him, I would not be surprised if some team did end up claiming him. Maybe they keep all three of them and maybe that means they go a little shorter at guard, right? Never know. Right. Um, they could they also do creative in that regard if they really like mm-hmm. all three of those guys. Because, you know, although we don't want Nick Harris to play any guard because I don't think he's that great at it, he he did do no. it. He does have some experience yeah. starting in the NFL at that level. Um, all right, so so riser and, and faller is kind of what we've done, who we think is going to have a good year and then who we think is going to have uh, potentially a, a slide down type of season. So I think from the rise perspective, 
uh, on my side, I think Wyatt Teller is going to have a bounce back season. I think he's going to be healthy and he's going to have a pretty good year blocking in the style that they want to block. And his athleticism will shine getting a comfortable, getting himself comfortable with Deshaun. So I will say on the rise side of this thing that I, I think Teller gets back to who he has been uh, before. What do you have for, for a rise uh, candidate? Yeah, I think the other guy that's kind of in that same boat is Jack Conklin, right? Um, a, a player that was really, really good the first year he was in Cleveland and has kind of had some struggles the last few years. Got an, an extension from the team, you know, and is, is going to be around uh, for at least the next two years. And so um, I, I think he's got a chance to really kind of bounce back and be, you know, the ding on him has been health. It's not been talent, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, he he can absolutely play as a top 10 right tackle in the league. And the Browns, you know, given their struggles on the other side, if they can give Wills more help, you know, and, and I mean, like you said, I, I really I don't want to overstate the case against Jed Wills. When he plays well, he, he plays as an above average NFL tackle. Yeah. But it, Conklin, I think, has shown in the NFL more sort of a higher end where he can get into that. You know, he's multiple all pro, time all right? pro. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think if he could go back to being dominant and, and you know, what you said about Wyatt Teller, all of a sudden that right side is like, you know, they're kind of crushing people. Mm-hmm. And um, that, you know, that I think that really kind of in some ways has been the difference in, in the offensive line production between 2020 and then 21, 22 is that they had more consistency in production from the right side of the line. Yeah, I think on the fall side, I think the you could obviously say Jed's going to get worse. I don't think you 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 know, Jed has the talent. I don't want to be so down. Like he has the talent. I've said this so for many sure. times to be really good. It's so it's so between the ears for him, and it's like even if he doesn't improve and he plays average, is that a guy like that? It's so tricky. What the future of that player is? I'm sure the Browns are so they're so frustrated with it. They they have to be mm. because you mm-hmm. can see it. Uh, pretty pretty consistently see what the flashes are that make him a guy that you draft a 10th and you're excited about whatever but they don't seem to be able to get through to him uh beyond that and and, and i'm sure that there's frustration around that so uh i think you could talk yourself into jet having a, a bad year with it's pretty easy to to do that and and look at and predict it and uh, you know talk about needing another tackle the following year maybe dewan is the guy that answers that that bell i will say I'm a little nervous about Ethan Posich. I'm just going to say yep. it. Like he, that's, that's where I was. At. He's never been that good before. And exactly. all of a sudden exactly. puts together a really good year. Now, when he came back from, he had his injury as well. He was not as good when he came back from injury. That's right. So like, that's exactly right. I, I'm of the fear that he had a, a nice heater to start the season. And that's, uh, he's going to revert to who he's been his whole career, which is, which is not a very good player. I mean, just kind of, I mean, he, again, he signed a, a one-year deal for like what like two million dollars like that's all right. the nfl thought of him at that time so now he's sort of figured out it's possible he could have figured out guys get with james callahan uh sorry bill callahan and um they figure it out right they they it's, many examples of this Wyatt teller's a living piece of proof from the in the guard realm so it's not crazy but i just think if i'm looking at candidates for aggression like he stands out to me as far as not having like his some of his grade metric stuff from pro football focus were among the best at the position period and i just like is he going to replicate that? I don't know. So that's my that's my guy. It's uh, that yes, a hundred percent. And you stole the words right out of my mouth. It's it's yes. about how he played after the injury. Yeah, that's that's the that's the key concern here, right? Is that 
as you said, if he put together a 17-game season where he was playing at that level, I mean, first of all, he's, he's a Pro Bowl player, you know, at that level, mm-hmm. uh, potentially in the conversation as an All-Pro. That's how well he was playing before the injury. But he gets the injury. You, you know, we talked about this the other day. You don't know how those injuries affect, especially offensive linemen or technique as season unfolds. He probably did rush back because they were in such dire straits with, uh, you know, Yelda Froholt snapping ball and wherever they were with the center position was pretty rough. Um, but I think, you know, like you're saying, tr- the track record hasn't really been there. So it's very fair, I think, to worry about that uh, as, as you know, a, a player that, like you said, the, the contract wasn't over the top, but they did cut some financial resources to him. And so it's the same conversation about this offensive line you know, it's it's a first-round pick, 10th overall at left tackle. It's the, one of the highest-paid guards at left guard. It's one of the highest-paid centers at center. It's it, one of the highest-paid guards at right guard, and then one of the highest-paid right tackles. Like, they, they have more invested in offensive line than anybody else in football. And so the, the level of production for the offensive line overall has to be, and this is not an exaggeration for effect, it truly has to be top three to get – the value back out of it that they've put into. Mm-hmm. And so that's the challenge is that good is not good enough for what they've spent to have the offensive line that they have. You think about what the Eagles have done. They, the, the production has been there, right? That's the, that's the standard for the Browns is that it has to be not good. It has to be great elite game in game out consistently. Yeah. Justify the means it has to make sense. Exactly. So, um, look, long-term outlook. Look, I've said it before. This is a two-year thing. They have two years of mm-hmm. Conklin, two years of Jed. Uh, I think you start to look at both the contracts of Batonio and uh, Teller. Two years is sort of like the the window for all of this. I think it's it's kind of, yes. kind of written on the wall here for for a lot of different things. Like the, after the twenty-five season, um, it, it could all look extremely different for for your Browns. So uh, we'll we'll move into quickly looking at uh and like i said i don't think we have to have a lot of long-term outlook there i mean they have two tackles they think could step in yep. uh, forbes has been around for a while still relatively young maybe he's a long-term guard play for them but i, I sort of think they're outside looking in at guard I, I mean michael dunn is he's just been too beat up and i, I think he's getting a little too long in the tooth like as a, as a nfl player to come in and just be some starter down the line in three years or something like that uh, but i do think the next center is currently on the roster whichever one they end up trusting more uh, is currently on the roster in some way, shape, or form. So, uh, again, th- there's three of those positions solved, but by 26, is Joel Batonio retired, right? Is is Teller yep. going to be a, a, like a third contract guy? Um, we'll see. We'll see. That's The guard position is the one that I've got the most long-term outlook questions about. Uh, but it's it's two years. Two years of this core, 24 here, 23 and 24. Sorry, I was getting a year out in front. Um, saying 2026, uh, 25 is when I think things could look a lot different. So, um, sure. the, the outlook of like the roster here. So they have kept nine guys, uh, they kept in 2020. Now uh, this is just the initial, I think, as far as I uh, come yeah. to understand nine guys in 2020 and 21 and 22, they kept 10 guys each time. And then they kept a couple practice squad offensive linemen, a tackle and a guard, obviously split that guard center. So just two, two extras. So, um, we can go through. I think that you and I would universally agree that there are seven guys that I feel like are pretty much stone cold locks. I think the five starters and then the two tackles. I mean, you can argue with me if you want to about James Hudson. I think he's going to be here. So those two, and then you say, okay, the, here's the rest of the names. One of these centers, potentially two, you could take both of those centers. Here are the guard backups. Again, Wes Martin, who they brought over from Washington, Colby Gossett, 
Drew Forbes and Michael Dunn. Those are the guys you're kind of looking at. Those four plus your two centers are your are your really your your you know, what are we saying? There's three spots left for those guys. So uh, I'll let you pick your. I guess we'll just name our three since we're saying we're agreeing that there's seven locked in between the five starters and then Dewan Jones and James Hudson. Yeah. Yeah, listeners can't see me nodding my head vigorously, but <laughs> I, I uh, uh, definitely agree on the four tackles. I don't think there's any way that changes other than, you know, what I said about, um, you know, potential late uh, post-cut, uh, you know, change if a veteran tackle becomes available and they don't like what they've seen from Hudson. I don't think that's going to happen, but I just thought I would mention it because mm-hmm. they did it last year and that was a little bit of a surprise last year uh, when it happened with Joe Haig. So, um that's the only thing there. And I think in that case, you could even say that, you know, Hudson could maybe flex inside to guard. I, I don't know if it necessarily means that Hudson would have to go anyway, as far as the three on the inside, my guess would be Nick Harris for the reasons mentioned earlier, um, having a little bit more experience as your backup center, I think feels good to them. And, and, you know, it is a little bit of insurance against if the Ethan Posich thing is a little bit of a flash in the pan, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, cause Harris, uh, looked really good that one game that he played against the Packers and, uh, he was going to start. You know, was, he was the starter. Yeah, he was exactly the unquestioned starter. Yeah. yeah Posich was the backup. So, so that gives you a little flexibility there. So I think it's Harris as the backup center. And then I've always been a Michael Dunn fan. Um, you know, I think he has the ability to start in this league. I think there was a scenario where the Browns moved on from Teller this off season to save money. And, and I think Dunn would have been then the prohibitive favorite to be the starter at right guard. Uh, so I'll say Dunn. And then, you know, I, I think they, they brought in Wes Martin, uh, you know, as a free agent, uh, not a, not an heralded one, but they did bring him in. So that to me says that there's something that they wanted to see there. So I, I guess you kind of give him the nod, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be around the team practice squad and that sort of thing. So I, it, to me, it doesn't totally, um, matter you know, mm-hmm. which, which, which is the fourth guard on the roster versus which is on the practice squad. I will say it's interesting, Jake, that how many of these guys have left and then come back. Forbes was gone. Gossett was gone. So many of them. They come back. It, I'm it, sure we'll see we Yodi Froholt at some point. Yeah. Like we, we keep expecting you, you kind of like Bill Callahan, as we have talked about a lot is, is so well thought of. You kind of keep expecting uh, these guys to like hit elsewhere, right? Cause they've been, in this system for a while they've had the experience you keep thinking like all right go someplace else and fly you know mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem to be happening so i'm a little confused about that but it does mean that they have really good depth at the guard position uh i think but again it's like if that's true if they do really have this good depth then those guys should be able to go elsewhere to lesser teams and get a job and it doesn't seem like it's happening no not as much as you would think so that that probably speaks to some of the cheat code stuff that you would want to see, which is where you bring some of those guys in. Again, the only outlier I keep thinking of is Jedrick Wills, who's like yeah, like this this level of talent, and they just haven't been able to elevate him. Um, okay, so I will say I think Drew Forbes has the most skill of the group. Uh, so I'll say Drew Forbes is a, is a backup guard. I will say Michael Dunn. The problem with Dunn, and you're right about things like, and then they've talked about this. I mean, Callahan has said vocally, like, I love me some Michael Dunn. Like he, they like, it's the back. He keeps having these back injuries. And as, a, yeah. as an offensive lineman, earning your back is, is really tough, man. Cause you, the anchoring that you put in the torque on your spine and all of that, like it's, it's dicey. So I, I think Dunn and Forbes are the two that I'm drawn to at that position. And then I do think they're going to go Whipler. So I'm just going to project that they end up going Whipler and they try to bring Harris back. 
but it ultimately fails. Somebody, somebody takes them on. Uh, but I could be wrong. I, re- I really could be wrong. And they could keep both of those centers and say, Hey, we would just rather have Michael Dunn and then we'll, we'll deal with it from there. So it's possible. We'll figure out a, a bet for Jake and I, cause it, apparently the center thing is really going to come down to the wire for us. <laughs> well, so. the thing that could be interesting is they keep both of those centers and they say it's, it's likely somebody does claim a center, but maybe less likely somebody claims drew Forbes or Good something like that. Yeah. And then they, yep. they, they work out a way to make like, Mm-hmm. more bodies that are able to, to be kept around yeah. that could be moved up Great and point. down or something of that yeah. nature. So Andrew Barry has shown the willingness to keep a guy on the 53 that he doesn't want to see on the field, just to keep him from other teams with Kellen Mond last year, other yeah. examples. These guys are just inactive every week. Luke Whipler could be a 17 game inactive this year. All right. So that is the offensive line. We've covered it from every angle. Um, we will recap our 53 and the differences between it at a later date, but um, just a little bit of the back end of that, um, spot ends up being where we, we, we so sort of where we differ a little bit. I, as far as the practice squad goes, like I, like I said, there's plenty of great options um, at the guard spot. It's, it sort of screams to me like Gossett or Martin will be able to be kept around in that role just because of the lack of demand for them. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Wheatley's a guy at tackle they really like. I don't know much about Hunter Thedford at all. Um, there was, uh, who was the big fellow that they had, they had had around and they let him go a couple times. I thought he played really well in the preseason. Was that Alex Taylor? I think it was Alex Taylor. That's a good call out. Yeah, like I was like, this guy plays pretty I, well in the preseason. He's in the league somewhere. I, I think he might be in Chicago. That's just off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I, that, they don't have that guy, I feel like, is a really good practice Agreed. squad candidate, at least at this moment. Agreed. But uh, we'll see if they bring somebody in or, or whatever the route is. We'll, we'll get a good feel because they're going to play a lot, right? They're going to play yeah. a lot. Uh, on mm-hmm. Thursday, because this is again game zero, so you're almost just these are just totally bonus snaps. So it'll be cool to see some of those guys. It'll be like twelve of us watching at that point when the second half, when uh, they're getting down to the nitty gritty. But that'll be it'll be fun to watch at least at least to a minimum. So that's the end of today's show. We appreciate you stopping by. Uh, obviously, appreciate Andrew for taking his time and being here. You guys for taking your time stopping by. Uh, I'll have a quick game day pod to put out with a uh, you know more notes that we get from the coaching staff, more information we get from who's playing and who's not and give you a little game day preview all of that get you used to having a game day preview that is a pretty consistent part of your week at least a quick one on sunday so uh, we'll check in then continue to stop by check out the obr we have full camp coverage today that like we said there will not be any camp coverage uh, tomorrow because it's going to be really a walkthrough scenario so uh, won't be much to cover there but we'll get you ready for it with a game day podcast and, and cover everything we, we, we might have missed in this one so check in then thanks to andrew thanks to you guys for being here go to the obr we have some great stuff going on 75 percent off an annual subscription it is a, uh, a vip extravaganza a chance to join us and and, and uh, really just support good local journalism in my opinion so check out the obr take advantage of that thanks for being here have a great wednesday everybody go browns Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. 
ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast.